Earlier this summer, the federal civilian contracting community reset back to zero. That is, zero hours of training. Actually, that was a good thing because the Federal Acquisition Institute and the Office of Federal Procurement Policy shut down a legacy training system and placed the finishing touches on the new one. Leslie Field is the acting administrator of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy. Joni Newhart is the associate administrator for Acquisition Workforce Programs. They tell Federal News Network's Jason Miller about how the move away from the old training application system known as FATUS means a new era of training for the acquisition people. First, you hear Leslie Field. FAI transitioned from its uh, customized government uh, FAI training application system, commonly known as FATAS, to a commercial platform, which is Cornerstone On Demand or CSOD, about a year ago. And the transition has gone relatively well. Of course, there are always a few challenges, uh, which is to be expected uh, whenever you're managing a government-wide IT project. And Joni can tell you a little bit about why we did that. Yeah, Jason, we did that because you know that having a customized solution, IT solution, is not the right answer these days. And it was much better for us to go to a commercial platform, which has so many users across industry, across government. And so there are frequent enhancements to this system that maybe we didn't even think about. So going to a commercial platform is always a good idea. And it's worked out well for us, I'd have to say. One of the things about the move, and, and I didn't realize it was uh, over a year ago, I thought it was something that just came to fruition. So there was a big deadline in May 1st, if I remember, if I remember reading the acquisition alert that you all sent out. What was that big deadline? The big deadline, Jason, was that when we initially started using the system in June, last year in June, we did not have a continuous learning module. As you can Imagine a uh, commercial platform doesn't use doesn't always have the the government requirement. So we took some time. FAI took some time to gather the agency users and uh, develop this continuous learning platform. So on May first, the platform was done and it was ready to be launched. And also at that time, we created a continuous learning period, the same one for all the certifications for all the people, which turned out to be a big process improvement from the FATAS continuous learning module. One of the things that I heard was this idea that everyone's going to start on May 1st at zero, right? Because you need so many hours per year to, to get, or you have so many years to get so many hours. So, but everyone will start basically at zero on May 1st and then work forward. Is, is, do I have that right? Or is there something more to it than that? No, you have that right. And it's actually really simple. We've always had two-year continuous learning periods. So May 1st was just the start of another two-year continuous learning period. So it's exactly what we've been doing, but the system was able to accept, well, they developed a dashboard. So it's a lot easier to track your continuous learning. We want our acquisition workforce to focus on their jobs and doing innovative things. We don't want them to have to figure out how many training continuous learning points that they want. That is, I'm sure, one of many benefits of, of this new system. Can you walk me through some of the other things that why the Cornerstone On Demand, the, the new IT system is going to be better than FATUS? I think the primary benefits of the new platform are, as Joni mentioned, it's a commercial platform. So we've got more standardization, which enables streamlined management and planning based on common definition. So, for example, we now have a common continuous learning window that Joni talked about. So that makes everything easier. I think we've also gained process efficiency. So, for example, we can bulk process external learning events 
and that saves countless hours of repetitive input and processing time. So if you think about a conference, a training provider can upload all of the attendees information versus having each attendee do that. So much, uh, much more efficient. And we can also do better resource sharing. So for example, the training assets of the Defense Acquisition University, FAI and some of the civilian agency acquisition schools now share training resources in a single location so that we can more easily find and register for classes across all of these institutions. The efficiency side of this is really what's key here because FATUS, was, was that the type of system where you had your version and I had my version and sometimes they inter, in, integrated and sometimes they didn't? Or is it just that old of a system that it just didn't have some of these benefits that the new modern IT would have? I think it's a little of both. And Joni can certainly jump in here. But as, as we talked about having a, a customized solution before, we had lots of different instances and there were different requirements and the consistency really wasn't there. So moving to this more commercial system, Cornerstone On Demand has provided a, sort of a, a better baseline and everybody kind of has access to the same information and the same features. The continuous learning dashboard is another piece that I want to just delve into. It seems to be something that acquisition and contracting officers, acquisition professionals can use really to advance their career. How does it work and, and how can they use it in that vein? The dashboard is a, a really big improvement over FATAS. So before, if I had a, a certification for contracting officers representative and one for contracting officer, each one had different continuous learning periods. So I had to figure that out. Then I had to figure out what training I had taken so far to meet the 80-hour requirements in two years. So it took a bit of work on, on somebody's part to figure all of that out. Now it's very intuitive. You log into the system, the dashboard shows you, you have one continuous learning period for any certification you have, lists your training, what you've taken, what you have yet to go, when you have to finish it. It's it's so more intuitive and so much easier that I think it's a huge benefit. And of course, continuous learning in general, that is how we hone our craft. That's how we stay up to date on, you know, how, how much acquisition changes and how quickly. So that's how folks gain new skills, fine tune their old skills and get new information. It's really the cornerstone of why we have such a great and competent workforce, I think. One of the things that, that I think has come up uh, when I've looked into this is if you've been kind of going down this path and getting your proper hours, your continuous learning credits have been frozen. There's a decision to freeze them since 2020. So talk to me about, is there a lot of training that maybe is not being counted or it gets counted? There's a little bit of concern about, oh, did we spend a lot of time and waste a lot of effort for training that now doesn't quote unquote count? Now, I will preface that with, I realize training is more than just getting your counted hours. Training is really important for many other reasons. But, but is there any concern that folks took a lot of training that now they have to take again or take differently because what they took last month or last week or last year isn't being counted toward those two-year renewal? No, absolutely no concern of that. We do not want people taking the same training over. Uh, the training that applies to the certifications, that continued and you could log it in the system and get credit for it. All of that continued. What, what we did not have was a continuous learning module. And that's the extra training on top of your certification to keep it current. And it's not that it was frozen. So people were still getting the training. They just didn't have a place to put it in, in the new CSOD. So once we started again on May 1st, we started again, people could get their training in CSOD. I think it was a pretty seamless transition. So people kept training and now they can log it in the system and they have this wonderful new dashboard. So um, 
yeah, I, I don't see that there was any issue there. No training has to be taken over again. We really would not do that. Leslie Field is acting administrator of the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, and Joni Newhart is its associate administrator for acquisition workforce programs, speaking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. Check out Jason's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there are so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style? And, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. 
But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards, two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and, and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. It's, that's That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply.